Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, a guy who isn't going to tell anybody not to talk. (laughs) And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we're here to talk about a very kind of interesting topic that sort of came up a long time ago and we weren't so sure we wanted to do, but now we're going to do it anyway. Uh, And the idea of, you know, if there's an appropriate time or way to ask people to stop talking in meetings, Um, basically. Uh, Just real quick, a couple pieces of recap. We, you know, the topic people would like to hear more about, another person said MAT and its place in recovery, which I thought was an interesting way to say it. Um, and, and we keep getting this MAT idea or somebody that's on MATs and has been successfully for a while. And we are working on making that happen. Uh, I would give credit to the person who sent that in, but it's a bunch of letters and numbers that yeah. I can't read. So, um, And we got one other message from Pete. He said, greetings from England. He's an addict named Pete and wanted to thank us for our show. It's helped reassure me of the humanness of recovery. I love NA and I'm eight years clean. You've expressed, discussed, and explored a lot of questions that I have with members. Nice to feel less alone. I write and express with poetry. The last thing I ever saw myself doing whilst wishing to be clean. Creatives, for want of a better word, and performers in recovery seem to gel together, and I have tried to include many in performing and writing, because I only ever performed for judges or probation officers. I remember thinking performers in the rooms were so distant from anything I could ever be and feared talking to them. I wondered what your views on artists, singers, performers in recovery might be. Keep up the great work. Love and hugs. So thank you, Pete, and I I thought that was pretty fascinating. Something you don't necessarily think of too often, but... Yeah, and I've had some friends over the years, guys that play guitar seems to be the big thing that, you know, how do you continue to play music and do that? Obviously, most of that happens in bars or clubs or events where people are drinking and having a good time, and yeah, how do you stay connected to that? Yeah, well, and I would imagine that uh, at least I can remember this for me, and I I feel like it was a bigger thing when I, I was going through it, but this idea that... I'm way more creative and free to express myself when I'm high. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that was always a thing. Like, people can't push through that that self-inner critic talk to even get to the creative place hmm. yeah. when you're not. And so, yeah, that's a that's a difficult one, right? How do you do that? And I, the interesting thing is, so a, a guy that I know, I consider a friend, actually was part of opening a specific rehabilitation center that is specific for performers um and so i'm wondering if maybe having him on we could talk about this whole time that might be good yeah i'm gonna reach out to him and see Uh, if he'll come on uh in the future and yeah he might be he realized like some challenges and Mm -hmm. i'm sure he's thought a lot about it sounds like he is a uh a performer himself i think he had something to do with the wire at one point Mm -hmm. and uh, he's put out a cd so yeah should be interesting. I'll uh, I'll reach yeah, out and see if I can get along here. Um, so back to today, and you know this topic sort of came from an experience you had. So I'm going to let you maybe describe as much of the experience as is safe or comfortable for the public. Yeah, and, and of course, there's I'm going to say lots of different reasons to consider asking people to stop talking in meetings. <laughs> I mean, we've all heard different people go on you know, whatever, religious tangents or tangents about some book or something that they read or some therapy thing that they're doing that's sort of an outside issue, and that's Mm -hmm. one thing. This particular case is a guy that I've known for a while. Um, He had been around meetings for over a year, you know, so he had a lot of connections here, had made a lot of friends, had a lot of relationships here, Um, and then he had a relapse And since it's relapse, he's not really been able to put any consistent amount of days together. And he, but he's still going to meetings fairly regularly, at least three or four a week from what I can tell. And he's drunk, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, like 
drunk in the meetings and you can kind of tell um you could probably kind of tell if you didn't even know him but the fact that i know him so well it's obvious you know that he's very acting very differently and so this has been going on for a couple of months now and the the interesting part for me (laughs) was I tend to think no one will ever fucking want to come to a meeting when they're high or drunk. I'm like, that would be the last place I would ever want to come. Yeah, it's like, why would I want to come sit in this meeting, you know, be around straight people when I'm fucked up? Like, that sounds crazy. (laughs) But Sounds boring. Yeah, it's like, why would you want to do that? But anyway, I guess to each his own. And uh, We were talking with some friends of ours about this recently. And he was sharing with us that he had done the same thing. He's been clean now a while, but he had done the same thing. He had a relapse and he was still coming to meetings and getting high, like in the parking lot right before the meetings. And one thing he said that I had never thought about was he had built all these relationships over his time coming in that were like all these like good, healthy people, and they were, like, honest, and they were these good relationships, and then back, now, this guy was doing heroin, so it might have been a little different than the guy that's drinking, I don't know, but he said, you know, the people that he was dealing with when he was using were all, like, the fucking shady characters that we're used to when you're, you know, people that you don't necessarily like, they're liars, they're thieves, you know, it's just all the people that are in chaotic use and what they bring, and that he loved having these relationships with these, like, fun, stable people, <laughs> but he just wanted to be high. Huh. So, so that's why he had done it. And I was like, eh, that doesn't outweigh, for me, the awkwardness of trying to be high around straight people. <laughs> well, and, and I guess for me, uh, you know, telling that story, which is a fascinating story, because my, my initial reaction was, Obviously, you're not alone feeling like you would not want to be high and go to a meeting because we don't see it too, too often. Like, it's not the norm. Right. So, obviously, there's a whole lot of people who don't want to be at a meeting once they get high, right? I would think a lot of people agree. But the second piece of the story really makes me think, well, fuck, man, this is my problem with us not being more inclusive, right? I, I mean, that guy literally wanted to be around the type of people that were in recovery, and and I guess for whatever reason, I don't know if he was still using heroin at this point or if it had switched drugs and was using something else. Like, But I, I don't know the fact that he wants to be around. Why can't he? Yeah. That bothers me a little. Well, I think he can. I mean, the, the guy that's coming drunk and, and my wife shares it when she tells her story, you know, of recovery. She would say, like, I went to meetings drunk. I went to meetings high. No one ever kicked me out. No, They always just told me to keep coming back, you know, and that part I think is, uh, I don't want to say universally agreed upon, but for the most Mostly, part, that's yeah. universally, you know, hey, if you're high, you can come, you know, welcome. This is where you need to be. Some meetings have different Things that they'll say in the beginning of the meeting, you know, we want you, you know, if you have drugs or paraphernalia, take them outside. We want you and not your drugs. And that's more for the risk of the meeting place and the legal ramifications. And that probably goes back to the 50s. Like nowadays, I don't know (laughs) if that's as big a deal, but it could be a trigger for people if you have drugs and stuff on you or you know you drop your fucking bag of weed on the floor you know i tried to that get be that a trigger yeah yeah it could but i i tried to get that taken out of one of my home group's readings yeah. and they were like why i was like because i've been here for like 15 years and nobody's ever fucking left and took their drugs outside <laughs> right. and come back in. not one person has ever got I'm like up and we're wasting outside. our fucking time but uh I, I had another you know fellow home group member that had a lot of time in recovery too and and they said yeah but i think it it sets the tone and lets people know that we're serious about our program. Yeah. And I was like, okay. That I'll it's about that. abstinence. Right. Yeah. I wasn't I totally that. bought in, but I was like, well, that sounds fucking good enough for me. Yeah, I'm like, cool. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we had one meeting up here for a long time that said, if you have any drugs, paraphernalia, or weapons, please take them outside. Ooh. 
And that was because they had an incident at the home group. It was a lady there. and She was a little mentally unstable. And she had come in and had some anger issues or resentment issues at somebody. And she came in and, I guess, pulled a gun out and, like, laid it on the table and kind of did one of those dared some people to say some shit to her or to say whatever she thought they were saying behind her back or or something like that. Well, damn. But she had actually – so that in their format, they put – if you have any drugs, paraphernalia, or weapons, please take them. <laughs> I, I mean, I would keep the weapons one, even if we got rid of the drugs <laughs> right. one. Like, it seems safe to me. Now, I mean, it was what it was like a month ago. Uh, two people got shot in a, in a meeting in Florida. Did you hear about that? Oh, I didn't hear about that. Oh wow. uh, yeah. So I, I think what I got after the, you know, actual news story was that maybe it was like a, a jealous ex boyfriend, and he hmm. went in and shot the new boyfriend and the girl and killed wow. them both. I know. Oof. And I think himself, too. Like, yeah. I think it was all three. Yeah, I guess that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, but it's but, just not one you hear about often. Like, no. usually 12-step meetings aren't... It might happen in a parking lot, but <laughs> right. not in the meeting. Right. Damn. Yeah. But in any case, so this guy, uh, my friend, has been coming to meetings and... You know, again, I've always been of the thing, hey, keep coming, man. It doesn't, you know, whether you use today or not, just keep coming. That's that's what's most important. Oh, can we go back to that? Because mm-hmm. I forgot to address that part of it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think we're ever saying for people not to come back at all. Um, I'm just picturing somebody. So, you know, try to think back to when you were like somewhere in your first five years of recovery. And you got a guy that hangs out in your you know, network, whatever you guys do in your first five years, hanging out, going to meetings together, whatever. And he uses, but still wants to be part of that group. He's not going to be okay. You know, he's going to be looked down on if he comes out and gives up his clean time or whatever and, and gets honest. Whereas I wish there was the ability for him to just be like, guys, look, I drank. Uh, I still really want to hang out. Uh, you know, I still feel like I'm recovering. Drinking's working for me right now. Whatever. Just if he could be authentic and real in that. And I don't think there's any room for that because mm-hmm. he will be treated different. Either A, I mean, there's going to be people who just treat him different because, well, he's fucking using. He's not working our program anymore. But there's other people who are going to say, that's just dangerous. I can't be around that. Now I can't help him anymore. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are going to say that. And I'm right. like. The fear of the dangers. Right. Going, yeah. And that's just, I'm like, that's disappointing because that guy you described who was like, I really like the people. We were the perfect place for him to be able to keep coming and be authentic and just say, look, this is what I did. This is what I'm going to do for now. Well, for me that, so, and this gets more to the heart of this issue is, so this guy's coming to meetings and he's sharing at every meeting and like doing readings, reading readings and like slurring his words. Like it's, it's pretty bad, you know? And not only that, but he was in a meeting, you know, that I was at and he shared a bunch of things and I know him really well, you know, over his time clean. And he shared a bunch of stuff that isn't what he thinks or believes at all. It was a bunch of just sort of drunken regurgitated things he thought were the right things to say in a meeting so he wasn't really being his authentic self right <laughs> you know what right. i mean he was he was it was something else and i don't know you know one i don't know if that's helpful to him you know to do that and i don't know if it's helpful to anyone else in the meeting for him to be doing that, you know, right. when we're supposed to be this atmosphere of recovery and and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, clean, sober, whatever words you want to use. And so it's not the fact that I don't think he should come because I certainly think he should come. But it's almost like when he comes in now, you know, he's going to share in the meeting. And that's fucking awkward. <laughs> right. It's very awkward. So does does everybody know? The few people that I know personally that we've talked about it, yes, they all know. I mean, it's, I hate to say it's like he's not falling down drunk, but he's talking in very slurred speech and, and like say, makes a point to try to read readings or talk or, you know, whereas if you just sit quietly, no one would probably know. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And I feel like a really good human for this. So I'm definitely going to brag about it a little. The first thought that comes to my mind right now is, is he driving back and forth to meetings? Maybe one of you guys I should offer to that give a ride. Yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought about that yesterday. I thought, holy shit, he's probably driving to meetings. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm wondering Which, if 
That one didn't even these, cross my mind. I'm like, man, maybe one of these season members should offer to pick yeah. him up each well, week so, so he's safer. Well, let me back up just a minute and tell you my thought process for all this because we started to think – we started to talk about it this way and then I got off track. So he's been coming to meetings. He relapsed and he was out for a couple of months mm-hmm. and he went through some pretty chaotic use and, and things were pretty bad and – you know, he got all the way to sort of homeless and, you know, whatever. And he and it was a couple of months where he wasn't coming to meetings at all. Then he reached out to me and some other of our friends and said, you know, he wanted to come back to meetings. And so then he started coming back to meetings. And it's been this most recent couple months where occasionally he'll call. I'll go pick him up. We'll go to meetings together or whatever. Or I'll see him at a lot of meetings. But he would talk and be all kind of like, quote unquote, weird, you know, like different. And I'm like, I think he might have pickled his brain the last time he used, you know, because I'm sure you've seen. I know I've seen over the years people that like relapse. And then when they come back, like there's noticeable impairment from the person that they used to be to the person that they are now Um, from long periods of fucking chaotic use of any substance, man. It can mess your brain up. Well, I think it's more than just the substance itself, too, just the whole way of life. And I mean, it it can really like, you know, we talk about how we live at an animalistic level. And, you know, some of that comparison, I think, bothers me. But the idea that like we do get really soaked into this one purpose living, right? It's just about getting ways and means to get more drugs, to feel okay. Yeah. And there's a certain antisocial piece that comes along with that way of life. Yes. Which might be more from our society than just a natural byproduct of drug use. I, and that's something that's kind of fascinating to me. I always assumed that was just, oh, yeah, you use drugs, you want to be away from everybody. But I'm <laughs> I'm wondering if that's what I'm seeing with, like, N.A., with kind of the shame piece. Hmm. Yeah. Is it the chicken or the egg? Like, do right, we become right. antisocial because we've been pushed out of society? So it's like, fuck them. I'm going right. to do what I want to do. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So he's... You know, been coming back to meetings and sharing and talking. And when I talk to him, like he's called me on the phone a few times, we talk and and I have just assumed that he's clean, but or sober, whatever word you want to use. And that he's just weird. Yeah. Now he's just weird. (laughs) Now he's just different because of some, you know, and I keep thinking, man, if he would just stay clean a little while, some of that I think comes back, you know, for some people. If if they get clean, especially, you know, what we see with the uh, crystal meth, you know, the methamphetamines like that shit. Yeah, that shit really messes people up. But in any case, I have just given them the benefit of the doubt. And my approach to most of these situations um, and not to get too far off the track, but it's like people that are on like a maintenance program or anything else. Like my opinion with most of that has always been. If they're not talking to me about it and we're not having an intimate conversation one-on-one about what they think my opinion is, then I don't give a fuck. If you say you're clean, you're clean, and I can have my thoughts and opinions and think, oh, I think that person's fucked up, but I'm not going to care. You know right. what I mean? For the most part. You want to celebrate. You want to do whatever. Like, it's that's your shit. That's not my shit to right. decide. And so if he comes in and tells me that he's clean and that he's wants to be here and that he's doing good like that's what he says a lot oh yeah i'm doing really good i'm hitting lots of meetings you know things are going really good i mean compared to two months ago he's not lying <laughs> yeah. well i don't know i've heard some other stuff that it's not uh, that you know mm. so in any case i've just given him the benefit of the doubt and then in talking with some other friends they're like dude you're fucking crazy like he's totally drunk <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's not. And they're like, no, he's fucking drunk. So <laughs> then yesterday or a couple of days ago now, he actually called me on the phone and said, hey, you know, I just I, I wanted to let you know, like things really haven't been going good. It's really been going really, really bad. I'm, I'm like on the doorstep of being homeless again. And I've been drunk in these meetings. I don't know if you've known. I said, well, you know, kind of. But I, you know, whatever. And he's like, and I keep going to meetings and I keep like sharing and trying to say what I think people want to hear because I want to help people. And, you know, I don't want people to do what I'm doing. Just and he was drunk then, too. So it was a bunch of drunk talk as well. And we talked about getting into treatment or whatever else. But part of that conversation, he he says, well, if you've known, you know, why don't why don't you say anything? I'm like, well, you know, it's 
not my place to call you out on stuff. I want you to feel welcome in the meeting. I don't want to be a person that tries to throw like guilt or shame or any of that on, you know, to you to push you away. Like I want you to come and I doesn't matter to me if you're drunk or not. If you're showing up and you're here, like hopefully, you know, you'll get the message or you'll find what you're looking for. Like that's what I keep telling them. Like I just want you to find what you're looking for that's going to help you and that what you want out of life. But he was like, oh, no, no, I think, you know, you should call me out on this and, and you should shut me down in the meetings. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. About that. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he was drunk. So if I did right. that and he was drunk another time, it might lead to a fight. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Yeah. Which guy shows up drunk that night? Yeah. Is it happy, drunk, 12-step guy or is it <laughs> bitter, drunk, I'm going to whip your ass for saying something guy? Yeah. That's such a weird thing that it's almost like. He's arguing with you to yeah. do this thing. Well, and I mean, I'm sure you've been to enough meetings over the years and, and whatever. Like, there's been always those cases where people show up and they share and they're intoxicated. And you can kind of tell. You kind of know. But it, I mean, in my history of all that, 99% of those times, the people share for a couple minutes. It's fucking completely awkward and uncomfortable. And then they just stop talking. Right. And usually they don't keep coming to meetings. Like usually it's once or maybe a handful of times and then you never see them again. This has been months and it's a couple of meetings a week. And like I say, he shares at every meeting. <laughs> so it's like, what do you, you know, I've never been a person to shut someone down in a meeting. I've never done that. I've came close a couple of times to really kind of trying to protect the integrity of recovery and the integrity of the meeting, but I've never actually done it. So it's interesting that I got all the, I feel like we come in with these topics, like, should you shut people down in a meeting or not? (laughs) And instead of coming to that answer, we come to like 48 other different conclusions (laughs) and I'm like, huh, it's fascinating. But uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you said, about this phone call of him calling you, it's almost like he's he's looking for this reaction for people to push him away, right? Like, that's what he's been conditioned to in his life is, like, he shows up, he's this drunk asshole, and people disconnect from him and push him out of their life and isolate him off, you know, on the sides of society. And I think your response actually was beautiful. Because it's it's almost like he's showing up and not getting that response. And he's like, what the fuck, man? Why, why aren't these people dissing me? <laughs> and then you're like, nah, man, we just want you here. Like, we just, we just want to love you. We don't care. And that's like, damn, that might have been exactly what he fucking needed. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I, was, I don't know. It just came across as pretty powerful to me. Maybe it didn't feel that powerful for you at the oh. moment, but it, it seemed like it. No, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. It makes me think of so many different things. So, uh, in general, I think the only thing the Narcotics Anonymous specific literature that I know of, at least, has to say about this topic is in the group booklet, which if you don't know what the group booklet is, it's a it's not quite a pamphlet. It's like a small yeah. booklet that is supposed to you know describe how home groups should operate for the most part. Um, and it goes through a list of positions like the secretary and the treasurer and all that and, you know, what you're looking for for this person to have. Um, and then it says there's other positions outside of that. One, they call it the leader, and it says also called the chairperson um, in different areas. But the statement it makes is the person leading the meeting is responsible for establishing an atmosphere of recovery. Although sharing problems is necessary for identification. Sharing solutions is necessary for recovery. It should always be in the leader's mind that we are here for the specific purpose of staying clean and helping other addicts to find recovery from addiction. So I feel like, in my mind, this is the statement I always use to justify being whatever, uh, trying to follow rules or traditions or whatever I was saying I was doing uh, for most of my time in recovery. Like, You know, if you're sharing a hot mess that doesn't feel like it's conducive to leading this meeting in the topic of spiritual principles and recovery life, then, (laughs) you know, I subjectively get to decide that and tell you to shut the fuck up. (laughs) I mean, I could see how it could be used to justify that easily. Yeah. And I I guess I've seen meetings try to accomplish that in different. The five minute timer for me is always like. That's really what that is. That's just a way of keeping things yeah. on task. If oh, yeah. anybody's too off track, 
you know, oh, you've been five timer minutes. goes off five yeah. minutes, shut it down. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly. And I feel like, so I had a home group that actually I had saw that method in another group and brought it back to my home group and we implemented it. We had a five minute sign and, you know, the secretary or the chairperson was supposed to time that. And, and yeah, that, to me, it was the most polite way for people who A, are either not talking about things conducive to recovery or B, they're just going too long. Right, like either and way. even that always seems Reset. subjective. Like the time five minutes was always like up to the at least in a lot of the oh, yeah. ones I've been yeah. in. Like if it's somebody you like or a friend of yours, you kind of the, shut the timer off real fast. If it's somebody you don't like or they're sharing a big mess, you you know might be a little louder or let right. it go a little longer till they stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I had to uh, be the chairperson or whatever, or the secretary, whatever you like to call it, at one point. And the way I would do it was, honestly, if, if it felt like engaging, if somebody went six, seven, eight minutes, but you're still talking about a relevant issue and still making a point, I'm not saying shit. Yeah. If you're talking nonsense, you get the fucking timer. Like, <laughs> right. And I I really didn't use it much. I didn't want to. Um, right. I tried to kind of get people's attention more of like one-on-one while they're talking, make some eye contact, right. make the little watch <laughs> yeah. thing, you know, the little five, whatever. But I, I do think there's times, especially like when the meeting had run over the hour mm. and I was done, I was like, yeah, it's time for the sign. I'm <laughs> holding this bad boy up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's one of the more pleasant ways. Yeah. And and also, I, overall, time sharing wise, I think that's really the way to go. Oh, yeah. Some now, have you ever it. like shut someone down for topic wise, like for what they were saying or what <sighs> they were God, I feel like Context. I have. Yeah. I feel like I have, but I don't remember any specific incident. But I, I, yeah, man, like just, I've always tried to do it nicely, like to walk over to them and just kind of whisper to them, like, hey, let's go outside and talk or something like that. But even that, I've seen not get a great response <laughs> when, when other people have done it in meetings over time, you know, the person, like they whisper quietly to the guy, like, hey, you know, do you want to go outside and talk? And the person's like, shut the fuck up. Why are you talking to me while I'm sharing or something like <laughs> Whoa, right. okay. Yeah, I don't want none of that. So Yeah, no. And so I tend to not want to lead the meeting. And I always get mixed up with the words. Is it secretary or chair? Like, who's the person that sits up at the front? So that's always according to mean. this book, yes. the secretary is also known as the leader, and they're the person that sits up front. Okay. But oh, no, I'm sorry, that's the chairperson and the leader. So this chairperson is the person that sits up front. I run. I always I get guess. those words mixed up, well, and we I don't even like, use those positions. In well, those we ways. use them different around here. Like yeah. for us, secretary is the person who sits up front of the meeting and gets speakers usually, and then the speaker is usually the chairperson. So I don't. Yeah, yeah. that's what. I, that's why I'm always confused. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't <laughs> like to personally sit up and run. And all of this goes back to one of those. Like I had a sponsor early on that told me one time. That is a service position. One, when you're sitting up there, you shouldn't be sharing from that position because you are in a service position at that point. And your job is to be running the meeting and taking care of all of that stuff, not sharing your own personal shit. The other thing is that gives a weird possible uh, leadership role to that person that's sitting up front. You know, so anyway, and that always just stuck in my head like oh okay if that's what you say then that's the way it is and now that's just the way that i do it right and i tend to go to meetings i don't want to say with the intention of sharing because there's plenty of meetings that i don't share at but i don't like to not give myself that ability either (laughs) so one of my first sponsors i think it was my first sponsor told me that too but his work around was if you really felt you needed to share at that meeting you got up and leave that position sit in in the audience and share and then go back up which i thought was (laughs) fair enough i guess at that point in time i think over time i i've just i've generally have adopted like you said like i heard it once and it seemed legit so i went with it not that I haven't ever done it, but I've probably tried to keep it like short. Yeah, and it's a bit, yeah, because I've been at my home group where there's like five people in the meeting, so then it's different. You know, it's like, well, now right. we're just trying to fill up the hour. <laughs> right, right. So everybody's getting a turn today. <laughs> so there, apparently, there's not much official NA stance on what would constitute shutting down a share or not. Um, and and you know, Caroline had mentioned this topic. She hasn't been on for a while. She actually will be on soon, but. Um, 
she had mentioned this a long time ago like when when is it okay like we you know as a topic when do you shut down somebody in a meeting is is it because they're high is it because they're talking about a certain thing like when is it appropriate and i kind of brought that topic to you and you were like i would never like we just don't fuck that i don't even want to talk about it i'm like oh i guess that doesn't give us much to say but i feel like here we ended up here anyway yeah and I don't remember that because I think I would have. Well, yeah, maybe when I said that, I meant for me personally. But yeah. yeah, that's where it's hard. That's why. And that's another reason I don't want that position, because mm-hmm. when I'm in a seat, I feel like that's that person's responsibility. Right. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Like, hey, man, why are you not shutting this? Yes. Guy down? <laughs> like, you know? That's so funny. And I don't think I we talk about too. that. Yeah, that's I mean, that's who's supposed to be in charge of that shit. Right. And if I was sitting up there. I would feel like that was my responsibility, you know, like (laughs) I have sat in many meetings where somebody is sharing too long about something that I feel like is definitely not recovery appropriate. (laughs) And I am always like my first thought is what the fuck, secretary? And then my second thought is I can't believe this fucking home group. (laughs) I can't believe they wouldn't come over and shut this motherfucker down. Knowing damn well when it's my turn, I'm sitting there like dreading the hell out of doing it. Please stop talking. Oh my God. Don't make me get up and come over and say something to you. I don't want to. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so difficult, you know, because a lot of times people... I always think their intention is good and that their heart is in the right place. But it's like when you're impaired, it's different. I Not, not different. I think your heart might still be in the right place, right. but your intellectual capacity isn't where it should be. So like I say with, with my friend, it's like you can tell like what he's saying is just off. Like it just doesn't – it almost doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it makes sense, but it's like this is some shit. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when it's a subject, though, it's a little different, whether it's somebody's religious beliefs or something like that. That feels a little different. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Well, and maybe maybe this is the point where we talk about, like, when do you think about even considering shutting somebody down like is there a thing that's worth making somebody stop talking for and and i don't know what that would be right is it because they're high is it because the subject material is it because they shared that they've used today you know i mean like what is your description of the right kind of yeah or people that come into specifically in like an na meeting and talk about being on a maintenance program or or how much that saved their life or how great that is for them or they talk about their recovery house and how great their recovery house is or their treatment center and how great the treatment center is. <laughs> you know, it's like all that stuff is is always to me like right on that line of, you know. Right. And it's – I guess that's the point of when you're in a home group and having that group conscience and electing that person to chair the meeting. Like that's the importance of – considering that position i don't think we do that a lot i know i don't you know we get in the home group we all get together and go hey who wants to run the meeting oh okay dave yep dave run the meeting sounds good thanks you know appreciate it i don't want to do it it. (laughs) so and then dave does it and you know we haven't even talked about any of that stuff or if they have the willingness or ability to shut someone down right right And, and sit up there with like nine months clean and have a 15 year member talking some dumb shit in the back like uh, do i really feel like i can tell jesus right (laughs) can i really tell that person to stop talking i don't know i couldn't do it so let's see things that have bothered me over the years when i've heard them in meetings um definitely when people just i feel like share about irrelevant shit that's what bothers me more than anything i think when they're just like babbling on and i'm like not connected to the conversation and it doesn't feel like it's got a 
storyline and it's not necessarily going anywhere. I'm <laughs> right. like, what the fuck are we listening to? Like, I don't know. I guess from my point in time today, the biggest problem is disconnection. Hmm. Like, that's what comes to mind for me. Like, what has us all here together on the edge of our seat having the same experience? And then what has us all kind of starting to space out and tune out and do whatever? Like, that's... But that's not something I think you should shut it down for. It's just no, not that's working. so subjective, I think, because is it though? Yeah, is it? I think so. I don't. I don't know that it's it's as subjective as you think it is. Because I think you could have a very entertaining speaker, someone who's good at engaging a crowd and good at speaking, share about some really irrelevant shit. I mean, I don't know. I've been to conventions or big meetings where people just rattle off a bunch of cliches loudly and the fucking crowd has gone wild you know and i'm like this is not really saying anything i mean it's almost like our cliches episode when it's like when you look at most of those cliches they aren't if you don't pick it up deep. it won't get in you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's like if you just yell that real loud with you know mm. stay clean no matter what you know people fucking get all into it but and that's just me i mean that they're all connected but <laughs> I don't know. I, for me, one of the things, and it isn't always specifically the subject as much as how people say things, you know, like yeah. if I was to go into a meeting and say something like, yeah, you know, from my experience, and I know this isn't for everybody, but like I didn't come through a treatment center or anything. I just came to NA meeting, stayed clean that day, and that worked for me. I, you know, for some people, they go to a treatment center. If they say, yeah, I needed to go to a treatment center and they're sort of vague and they're not specific, but it's like, you know, there's a way to do that without going, oh, I went to Ashley and when I did Ashley, you know, it was great because we had a chef and they gave us all this food and, you know, it was really nice and we got this great support and they took us to these outside meetings and, you know, we went to AA and NA and then they had therapy, <laughs> like, you know, and then you're talking all about the fucking treatment center and you're right. not really sharing about recovery in general. Hmm. You know, to me, that's always kind of off. Yeah, but, but is it worth stopping somebody for? Depends on how long they want to talk about their treatment center. <laughs> you know? I mean, so what do you think qualifies? And, and what benefit do you feel you gain? So I, you've mentioned a few things so far. Like this guy, you're talking about the original story. He was drunk, right, at the meeting. But you also mentioned that he's, like, trying to say what he thinks NA's message is or what he thinks recovery's message is or... You know, something helpful, even though you don't think necessarily that he agrees with it or is living it at the moment. But I don't know that that's something I could like. If I use that as a qualification for shutting people down, I feel like you're shutting everybody down that's got less than two years. Because <laughs> that's exactly what all of us were doing, was spouting some NA shit that somebody else said that we thought we believed. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is, is there criteria there? Or is it just if someone's... I mean, in the, in this case i think it more has to do with like he's literally slurring his speech to the point where like you know he's drunk <laughs> and it's maybe this is the opportune time because we're always talking about like this you know we talked about it last week this purity test of of clean and how we're monitoring sort of each other and and this big fear that if we don't keep the 12 step environment pure something bad will happen, right? Like if, if there's high people leading the meeting, uh, newcomers might get high as well and die or something. I think that's the fear that we're all worried about, I'm guessing. But like maybe this is the time to interview newcomers that go to that meeting you're talking about that he's at and say, hey, how does it affect you that, that this guy is doing this? Like what is that? Does it make you feel like you want to go out and do it? or You know what I mean? Kind of get some inside input because we always say that's the fear is the newcomer here in that person. Well, let's ask the newcomer. Yeah, and I never think of it as the newcomer specifically. I think of it as anybody, you know, and it, like that's the way I always looked at it. Like, I know we sort of say that, oh, like with a bunch of clean time, people are supposed to be better, but I don't exempt myself from the right. desire or compulsion to use on any given day. <laughs> okay, well, does it make you want to use because he slurs his speech at the meeting? No, but it's also <laughs> like, you know, I wouldn't go to church and then start talking about the Buddha a bunch either. Like, it's just not the appropriate place or the appropriate environment 
for that that you know like there's a place for that it's not here and even if like i'll hang out and talk with him after the meeting even that's fine or if he wanted to go get something to eat i'd probably go get something to eat with him you know but in the meeting during the meeting just doesn't feel appropriate it doesn't seem like that's the best thing i guess it would be the way you describe that right there to me that would be more relevant if he was in there saying like oh my god james beam jim beam that's the answer that's (laughs) fucking step 13 y'all gotta get on or whatever step point five everybody needs to drink it feels great like it's not like he's in there attempting to deliver a non-NA message. Like, it might not be the NA message he necessarily is living or believing, but he's trying and attempting to give the right information. So in his case, yes. In the maintenance programs, though, that's that's what that message feels like. You know what I mean? Like, that's where that one gets mm-hmm. a little hairy because we've had that. I've been in meetings where people are like, yeah, I'm on, you know, methadone and it's great. It's working great for me. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, that's the same as someone saying, oh, yeah, well, I just drink wine now and that's good for me and I right. can do that, you know. I wonder, though, I feel like after the fact, we'd all be OK. Right. So like somebody's up there and they're like celebrating their second year and they're like, yeah, you know, my path just like you would share, you know, my path wasn't through a detox center. They would say, you know, you know, my path was through a suboxone maintenance program for a while to detox down. Um, that's not everybody's story. Like, I feel like we'd all be like, oh, great. That's a beautiful NA message. Thanks. Yeah. But if they're in the middle of it and they're like, yeah, I'm on suboxone. I'm working on tapering down. I'm hoping one day to, you know, be off of that. We would be like, oh, why are you sharing in our meeting? You don't have anything. <laughs> I don't know. See, that I would be okay. Like, that I feel like is, I don't know. I, I Me, personally, I wouldn't. that wouldn't bother me so much. But What if they didn't say they were tapering down? What if they well, just said I'm on some boxing and it's going well? Yeah, that would be different. I mean, <laughs> I, again, that's just me. But And I don't know that I would shut them down specifically. But I, I guess I'm thinking more back to this this idea that the drunk person sharing is the problem and i don't know if that is that that's going to cause someone to want to use i don't know if that is the fear for me um the fear for me more has to do with the integrity of the fellowship and the program and it's the same with people on maintenance i don't have anything against people that are on a maintenance program and want to be on a maintenance program and if they needed a fucking ride to the clinic i'd probably even give them a ride if they were a friend of mine you know what i mean like i would support them in that journey But in the N.A. meeting, like we have all these readings that say, you know, we're a program of complete abstinence from all drugs. You know, this is why we're doing this is because we have this addiction problem. And when we use it leads us to this chaotic lifestyle that we don't want to live anymore. And, you know, all those things that we read those readings say. And then when you have people come in that are, you know, drunk or talking about a maintenance program and no one in the meeting is really shutting them down or just making that like, oh, that's completely okay too. Like what message does that send to the new person? Like how much integrity do we have in this abstinence thing? How much importance is there really? Are we staying clean? Is it okay to smoke weed? Is it okay to, you know, be on a maintenance program? Is it okay to just drink and not do other drugs? Like, you know, it starts to get blurry if we're not consistent in our message of what we're doing there. Um, that's where I think it gets a little more dangerous than the specific hearing a drunk person and thinking that you're going to go get drunk or high. It's interesting. Integrity as a program or as a fellowship. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think through that idea. I feel like the integrity is, is in self, right? Like my integrity is that I am doing what I say I'm doing. Not so much like our program has to It'd be more like fidelity, I guess. Everybody's looking the same. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that the program or a group has an integrity. That's kind of an interesting concept. I'm not saying it can't. I'm just, I don't know how we would enforce NA's integrity. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess where the, that, the enforcement part is where it gets tricky because we have those traditions that are supposed to sort of keep us along the right path, <laughs> but they seem to only work if everyone's following them, like yeah. when you have a few rogue people that are 
doing other things. It's like, what do you do with those rogue people yeah. that, you know, like, like how do you manage them in a way that keeps everyone else on the same path? Right. Because the traditions aren't, you know, as we discovered going through all of them, they're not a legal system. They're right. not a system of laws and a system of punishments for if those laws are broken. Like they're just ideas and, you know, yeah. and hey, these are nice. as you and I found just looking for a couple minutes trying to find some anything about what you would do with a person that was using and sharing in a meeting. There's nothing in no. any of our literature and in, in anything in, you know, AA literature that I could find. You know, there's nothing easily available that's like, oh, yeah, if a piece of person's using in a meeting and they want to share, this is what you do. Right. <laughs> like, you know, there's not that. Yeah. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's it's definitely a challenge. You know, one of the things this brought up for me, um, which is going back to that idea I was telling you earlier, like this disconnection versus connection idea. And from the strangest of places, I my mother's boyfriend um, of like 12 years passed away a week ago. And so we ended up at the funeral yesterday. And so we're in this funeral. And, you know, I'm already like, fucking funerals like it's not the kind of shit i want to be at you know it's just dreary and awful and but you go in there and then they start in with the the guy reading out of the bible and you know doing his thing i guess it's a sermon of some sort mm. and everybody's just kind of sitting there like whatever sort of half spaced out right but then they had two people come up and and share you know meaningful events um and connections from this guy's life. And I guess one of those is the eulogy and one was just a, another person who wanted to get up and share. And They were both so perfect and beautiful, right? Mm. And, and like everybody in the fucking place has tears in their eyes mm. and we're all like connected and, and sharing our grief together. It was like exactly, I was like, holy fuck, I have never had this experience that like this is exactly what a funeral is supposed to be. Like we're supposed to be grieving together. Mm. And that's what it felt like. And then the, the second share ended and the, you know, pastor, reverend, whatever he was, got back up and started talking again. And within a minute, all dry eyes, everybody disconnected again. And I'm not trying to shit on the Bible. That is not the goal here, right? It's not about the Bible. I guess for me, and this kind of took place at the last two funerals I've been at, they just didn't feel like the Bible felt authentic, right? right? I'm not saying the person didn't believe in God and didn't think they were going to heaven and didn't follow Jesus, but they never talked about that around me, <laughs> right. right? Like that was never a conversation we had. I never heard those words come out of their mouth at any point in time. And I've been around these people for a while. So to me, it just feels so... You know, if you had somebody that was highly involved in your church and, and they passed away, like everybody would probably feel connected and comforted by Bible verses or, right. or whatever else. But this wasn't a particularly religious event. And, and it just felt so. So just looking at that idea of like, damn, there are ways we can come together and really feel connected and united depending on what's being said in the environment. And what's not. And it was just so drastic. And for everybody to like connect and then disconnect so quickly, depending on what was being, you know, talked yeah. about, I was like, damn, that kind of feels like it makes a lot of sense for this episode. Hmm. Because, it, you know, it's, it's not so much that what they're sharing that I'm scared of what it's going to do or integrity. Like for me, it's just, is everybody spacing out and starting to check their fucking Facebook again? Because we've lost the fucking meeting at that point. Right, the point the is connection. for us to be here and connect. But, Going into that too, and, and I'm you know about to shut up and let you talk a little because I'm right. getting dry. Um, this idea that I feel like you know I've gone over it before. When I came to a meeting, there was thirty people in the meeting, and twenty seven of them had more than six months, right? And then you know towards later points in my recovery, it's a meeting of fifty five people, and you know twenty six of them have never been there before because they just got to recovery this week. And it's like this this shift in size and, and senior members or whatever. And you have 26 people coming in more interested in being on their phones. They're already part of this disconnection of the meeting. So, like, how does that impact the whole meeting atmosphere? And, and is there going to be more kind of rogue shares if that's going on and people aren't connected? Because when you're connected, you're responding to what the last share was. You know what I mean? You're kind of riffing off of that. You're a part of the whole. Yeah, and all those things, again, just bring up to me why it is important that we have a chairperson or, a you know, a home group or a group conscience that 
addresses some of those issues. I mean, you know, I feel like if I was in a meeting where I had a whole bunch of people that were new from a treatment center or recovery house coming a lot, maybe I'll do a speaker meeting. Maybe I'll do something else to try to control, you know, try to keep the focus where it needs to be. Yes, it's tough. You know, we want to have an atmosphere of recovery. I'm a big person that if I go to a meeting and it has a topic, I'm going to share about the topic, you know, whether I have some personal shit going on. I mean, if it was really like life or death personal shit, I might share about it. But most of the time I try to keep what I'm saying relevant to the topic because I feel like that helps at least tries to protect this integrity, protect this connection. This is what we're all talking about today. And we can feel connected and unified in that, whereas you got different people sharing about different stuff. In the past, I have felt differently about that, though. I used to have a home group. We didn't have a topic or anything. You came in, you shared about what was going on with you in your life. And at that point, I just felt like it was more relevant for me and my recovery to know, like, how are you really doing this? What are you really doing in your life? And how are you applying this shit, like, at your job and with your wife and with your kids? And what are you doing outside of these meetings? Because I can read, you know, oodles of information about whatever, uh, spirituality and how to, you know, be honest and practice these principles. But what's that really look like when you're living at your job, you know, when you're, when you're at your job and you're in a situation where somebody gives you too much change, like, what does that shit look like? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, if we get down to the, the actual doing of this task though, the actual shutting someone down in a meeting, I don't know what benefit happens from that. Right. I feel like there's going to be unintended consequences. I feel like there's probably some better practices to try to not alienate this person, you know, from the, the group in trying to get them to stop sharing. And yet I still feel like once you start the process of I'm going to try to stop them from sharing, you don't know what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter how good your compassionate practices are. This person might be in a place where. You know, I mean, they're already giving clues that their reaction is not going to be all that great because they're not really all in the right place. Is there a good way or is there a, a better way to try to shut someone down or is it better to just not really do it? I mean, ever's a strong word because right. you could have somebody who's completely off the rails doing whatever and you do have to kind of be like, hey, excuse me. <laughs> right. But. Most of the time, let's say with this guy even, because he never goes too awful long and it's not, it's just like say, it's just like a drunk person talking for a couple minutes. (laughs) Would it be maybe better as either the home group or as an individual, you know, one of us that knows him well, because some other guys in the home group know him pretty well too, to do that after the meeting or aside and say, hey, look, man, we know you've been struggling, you know, we want you to keep coming back. But if you've been using that day, maybe don't share, you know, maybe try to try to wait till you get a day or try to wait till you're sober to come in and share. Cause we'd really rather have you and hear from you, not the intoxicated you. Mm. Like, and is there a nicer way to do that? Cause that's just sounded mean at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there's a nicer way to do it. I do think one-on-one's probably preferred to in the event itself, but I feel like usually after the event itself, it's kind of like, ah, it's fucking over now. Yeah. I don't want to, I guess if it was a regular pattern like this, like I, I haven't seen too many regular patterns. No, this is a new one for me. I yeah. got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, usually you see something like this and you're like outside of your area or it's a person who's never been there before and never comes back. Well, and what's funny is it didn't come up in our conversation like when him and I were talking because more I was it is just me personally. I was leaning on him to try to get back into treatment. I think that's what he needs, but that's just whatever. But I didn't use that opportunity to say, you know, when we were talking about him drinking in the meetings, like I didn't use that opportunity to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, don't (laughs) share when you come into meetings drunk. Like it just didn't feel like the right timing. (laughs) Right. It was a different conversation. But I I put it on myself like I didn't use that opportunity that he brought it up to say you probably shouldn't be doing this anyway. So Mm -hmm. don't put it on me to correct you. You need to correct yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and that's kind of fascinating because I feel like that might have been, and and depends because I might have been caught off guard by that phone call too, (laughs) but like it does feel like one of those times you could just say something like, if if he said to me, 
why aren't you shutting me down in the meeting? That's the right thing to do. I'd be like, well, why are you talking? (laughs) (laughs) If you don't think it's the right thing to do, why are you opening your mouth? Well, and I will say too, there is that part of me as a member in recovery that has that old school, like this person's using, I should just try to shut this conversation down and get off Mm. this phone because this is a bunch of irrelevant nonsense. And I don't know that that's, true but that feeling comes right away you know when i'm like oh he's drunk this is stupid right you know but i just use the opportunity to say the things that i feel like i would say if he wasn't drunk and whether he hears it or not is not really up to me (laughs) but then i do try to find at some point to get off the phone because what ends up happening or at least with this particular individual is he starts saying all the same shit all over again Mm -hmm. you know the exact same things all over again i'm like i don't want to hear this four times you know (laughs) in a 40 minute conversation that really was a five minute conversation five times. <laughs> so this is a shitty question, but I'm going to say it anyway. So what happens if uh, a guy like this or this guy, they end up on heroin and they're come to the meeting and they're doing this pattern, but every time they share, they nod out like 25 seconds into it. So then you wait like 15 seconds and you're like, well, that's how we'll get past it. We'll just let somebody else share. But then they keep coming back to the story every time they wake up. <laughs> do, you, do you have to shut them down like multiple times? Like, oh, I, I've never had that. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be fucked up. Yeah. I actually think I have kind of seen something like that, but they were, they didn't finish the story. They just kept waking up with a few words and then going back to bed. Yeah. Well, and there's always been people that talk out a turn at meetings like that but that always seems so random like usually nowadays i'm a little forgiving when i'm like oh it's just a brand new person that's not been a, like they don't know right. the culture they don't know the environment they'll figure it out if they keep coming back you know now isn't the opportunity to push them out and that i feel like is very different you know that that i feel like is Like, at least for me personally, like I'm a little more tolerant of that. The difference with this situation is this is an individual that's been heavily involved. He was in service. He, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, like he knows better, you know, like he knows the expectations and the environment and the culture. So it's not a it's not a surprise that he shouldn't think that that's okay. (laughs) Well, his 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 brain knows better, but I, I wonder and this could go two ways, right? With the nervous system, just thinking about like if the alcohol calms his nervous system more, that might make it easier for him to hear things in that moment. Yeah. But then if it's the opposite and he's in survival mode, it doesn't matter if he knows better or not because he's not going to have access to that yeah. kind of thinking. Well, and as my friend, what I keep trying to get to him and I can't ever get a good answer is like, well, what are you looking for? Like, do you want to be abstinent or do you not? Like, if you don't, then that's okay, too. Like, I'm not here to judge any of that. But if you want to be abstinent and here doing this, then there's some things you got to do, you know, and if you don't, that's fine. I'll still be your friend. But this is weird (laughs) like you're in the middle of two things (laughs) so is there a time to shut somebody down in the meeting i'm sure like you said i don't want to never say never because there's always a weird situation you never know but i i don't see me shutting anybody down in the meeting yeah it would be really right i'm probably more apt to do it now than i ever was only because i have a little more whatever you want to call it, like integrity and self-worth where I feel like if I were to do it, I would feel okay with that decision. But as far as five years, 10 years ago, I would have never, it would have just hmm. never happened. And it wouldn't even matter what they were doing. <laughs> I feel like there was a way better chance of getting me to shut somebody down five or 10 years ago. Yeah. Cause I, I definitely would have bought into some kind of integrity that you're talking about of NA or fidelity or whatever we like to refer to it as, but I, I just don't feel like I do anymore. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Say whatever the fuck you want. I ain't here to tell you not to. I don't know what the hell's supposed to be said or not. <laughs> I ain't the master of that. I can't picture it, but there's just so many. I feel like for every case you could give me where I'd be like, oh, yeah, that might need to be shut down. I would see another case of a person not high and just staring some similar shit. And I'd be like, but I would let them do that. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I just I've heard so much shitty stuff out of people that are clean in recovery, working steps. I'm like, I don't know. I don't shut none of that shit down. Why would I do it for anybody else? Yeah. And I guess that's the importance of a good chairperson. Think about who your chair people are in your meetings. Yeah. Ask them. 
you know? What do you think protects the integrity of the group? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting conversation. It is. It is. And I feel like we all would have a different answer of like what's allowable or what needs to go or what's not helping us connect in an atmosphere of recovery. But it, I would be interested in like more chair people or secretaries answers. Like what would what would it be to you? Where do you draw your line? And what does that mean to you? How do you judge when to say something and how do you say it? Yeah. I'd be curious. And I think that all gets back to the autonomy of the groups, autonomy of the meetings and what. Mm-hmm what different groups want to be, you know, what what kind of atmosphere you're trying to have. Awesome. So go out there and feel safe in the knowledge that you can share whatever fucking nonsense you want, and I will not shut you up. (laughs) Have a good week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>